Good morning. First Church extends a warm welcome to all of you that are gathered here with us this morning and also to those listening on radio. Before I start our service, I have several announcements. Today is the first day of Sunday school classes and other fall activities. Sunday school this year will be running for one hour from 10.15 to 11.15. If you are a parent of a child who is moving up a grade, please take that child to their new classroom. If you have any concerns or doubts where that classroom may be, please see one of the teachers and they'll be sure to help you. Information classes also begin today. They will follow. They will start following our worship service this morning over in the ministry center. You'll notice the blue jug is on the steps this morning again. It's for the help of the relief victim or help for relief for the victims of Hurricane Florence in South Carolina, North Carolina. Donations from that will go directly to the Salvation Army, which is already there providing food and other relief efforts. And now to start our service this morning, for those who are able, would you please stand and join me in our call to worship. This morning it is taken from Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Please remain standing for our opening hymn, number 579, Jesus Loves Me.
seated. Pick that song today. We often think of Jesus Loves Me as a, as a children's song, and of course it is, but somebody once told me, and it stuck with me, if we all just listen to those words, Jesus Loved Me, and, and live them out and truly understood them, even as adults, uh, we would really get the gospel and understand what that means. And so it's a children's song, but it's good to sing it together as, as a church body as well. Uh, this time I want to invite uh, my family forward, Allie and Jojo and Miles, to come up here. Hey, sweetie. It's always a, it's always a joy to um, stand alongside families and, and as, as they commit to raise their children in the Lord and, uh, and that promise that is made. Um, and it's even more special today because we get to do that. I get to do that with my son. Told myself I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, so today we get to dedicate Miles to the Lord. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the child in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And just as Jesus welcomed children and did not turn them away, we also welcome children into the life of the church and desire to nurture them in the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When we, when we do things like this, whether it's child dedication or infant baptism, the commitment is, is it's on us. Uh, it's on the family to, to come alongside and to raise that child in the Lord and, and to pass on that faith and pass on that understanding of the Lord and knowledge of the Lord and, and even more importantly, the love of the Lord to that child. And so that's the commitment and that's the hope that we have today, that we can pass those things on to our children, to each new generation. Uh, there's always some questions that go along with this, questions for Allie and I as parents, uh, uh, a commitment of faith on our part to pass that along then to Miles. And I thought it would be really weird if I asked us those questions. Um, and so I've asked Keith as our, as our head elder here to, to ask those questions for us. And so he's got some questions that Allie and I will be responding to. Joel, Allie. Do you desire to dedicate your child to the Lord and promise to raise him to know, love, and serve him? We do. Do you truly and earnestly repent your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? We do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? We do. Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciple, trusting his promises, obeying his word, honoring his church, and showing his love as long as you live? 
We do, with God's help. Will you devote yourself to the church's teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? We will, with God's help. Thanks, Keith. And as a statement of faith, as, as, God's, as, as Christ's body gathered in one place, I invite you all to, to read the Apostles' Creed with us. The words are printed in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of life. We thank you for for this family, and for this child that is being dedicated today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, you have made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. And I pray that you would bless and sustain this child. Draw him to yourself, just as Jesus welcomed the children during his ministry. May he grow to love you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also pray... For, for Ali and I, for his parents, that you would equip us to fulfill the promise you make today. Bless and sustain us as we teach our children to know and love you. In all this we pray in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Again, I'll ask Keith to ask us the commitment we're ma- about the commitment we're making today. Since you have presented miles for dedication, we ask you the following questions before God and his people. Do you promise to instruct him by word and example? with the help of the Christian community, in the truth of God's word, and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for him and teach him to pray? Do you promise to nurture him within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? And we do with God helping us. Brothers and sisters, we receive miles into Christ's church. I charge you to nurture and love him and to assist him to be Christ's faithful disciple. Now please join with me in the congregational promise. Miles Edward Bucklin, I dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the free gift of salvation that is made available through his death and resurrection. We pray now for Miles, bless and strengthen him daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to him the riches of your love, deepen his faith, keep him from the power of evil, enable him to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes, and may he grow to know, love, and serve you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we also ask that you look with kindness upon us as family. Let us always rejoice in the gift that you have given us. 
Grant us the presence of your Holy Spirit that, they, that we may bring up miles to know you, love you, and serve you and his neighbor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, now it's time for children's chat. I invite you, the children to come forward with Miss Tori, and I invite you to take a moment and greet your neighbor as well. All right, guys. So I have a question for you. How many of you have ever made a pinky promise? Pinky promise? Yeah, what did you pinky promise to someone? Do you remember? You pinky promise you won't be mean again? That's a good one. What else? Do you have something? Oh, you would give your brother a dollar to play Mario Kart? That's a good one. Uh, my sister and I used to make a lot of pinky promises, and usually it was pr- like we would promise that we would share something, right? We would share a video game or ice cream or something, and usually those pinky promises didn't really hold, right? You don't, you don't really follow through with them all the time, do you? Did you give your brother a dollar? No. <laughs> See? Because you forgot, yeah. Um, how many of you ever had a, a pinky promise broken, though? Yeah, doesn't feel very good, does it? When someone says, I promise I'll do something, but they end up not doing it, right? Well, promises are hard to keep because in order to keep a promise, we have to be faithful, right? We have to commit to doing what we say we're going to do, right? We have to promise if we're going to give our brother a dollar that we're going to give him a dollar, right? Um, But, you know, we don't always keep our promises, but I know someone who is really, really good at keeping promises. Who do you think that is? Yes, God. And you want to know how I know God is so, is so good at keeping his promises? Well, because God is all-powerful. And that means he is so strong, he is strong enough to carry out every single promise he makes us. And God is totally truthful. He can never lie about a promise he's going to make. God is unchanging. His promises are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is everywhere, all at once. So he's perfectly capable of fulfilling his promises that he makes to all of us because he can be everywhere all at once, right? And so God is always going to keep his promises. God is always going to be faithful to us. He's always going to do what he says he's going to do. Huh? Oh, I thought you had something to say. Um... And God makes some pretty strong pinky promises, doesn't he? We've read a lot about a lot of his promises in his word. And because God is so faithful at keeping his promises, he gives us the things we need to be faithful to him, too, to be able to serve him and to be able to love him. He gave us his word to know his promises. You know, the Bible, what we read and we read scripture out of, that has filled with all of God's promises. And you can know all of his promises by going and reading in your Bibles about, about what God says. And God gives us the ability to love people and to be kind to each other and to encourage each other. All of those things are things that we can do to show our faithfulness to God, to show how much we love God. And so this week, I want you to think of three things that you can do for the people in your life, three things that you can show God's love to them doing. So what what are some of those things that you could do to show God's love? Maybe to mom or dad or to a friend. What could you do? You drew a picture about God and Jesus? That's awesome. What else? What else could you do? You could be nice to Mario on playing his video games. 
You could be nice while playing video games? Yeah, absolutely. To Mario? To be nice to Mario? What else? Anything else? Maybe help mom or dad with dishes or make your bed when they say to make your bed. I know that's not fun stuff, but that's showing God's love, right? That's showing love to your parents, right? Doing chores. Doing chores the first time that you're asked to do them, right? That's all showing God's love, and that's us being faithful to God because we can show love in that way, okay? So let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the ultimate promise keeper, Lord, that you will never break the promises that you make, Lord, and that you will always do what you say you're going to do. God, I pray that this week that you would help us to be faithful to you, help us to uh, faithfully love you and to show that love to everyone that we come in contact with. We love you so much, and we thank you for this morning. Amen. All right, guys, have a good week. want a couple hoagie boys to not go too far, okay? Michael and Caleb. (laughs) He's being a little shy here. Michael and Caleb, come on, stay up here because we got a little something for you. What's special about today? Do you know what today is? What's happening after church today? That's right. You're moving up a grade in Sunday school. Today is the first official Sunday school class of the year. Last year we had our fall kickoff, which was a whole lot of fun. Today is our first real Sunday school class. And so these two boys here are going into first grade, which means they are moving up in their Sunday school class. And at this time, we always like to uh, give a little gift and recognize them. Um, they've been coming to Sunday school for, for a while, and so they're, they're moving up to first grade, and we love to give them an op- This is an opportunity to give them a new Bible. Uh, so we have a gift for each one of you. Caleb, there's yours. Michael, there's yours. That's a new Bible for you guys to, to bring to Sunday school class with you, to take home and read, because God's Word is really important. We talk about it all the time in church, and you talk about it in Sunday school, and we hope you guys take time to read it at home with your families and everything. As you guys are growing, this is going to be an opportunity for you to grow in your faith and learn more about the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 3 tells us how important God's Word is. In verse 14, it says, As for you, continue as, as what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you have learned it, right? You've been involved in Sunday school. You guys have, have come from great families that teach you about Jesus. And it says, And how this, in, from infancy, since you were little kids, you knew that holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so our prayer for you guys as a church is that you continue to grow in the Lord, you, that these Bibles are tools for you to grow, to know and love him even more, and so you can learn about God's love for you. And so before you guys go sit down, we want to take a moment and pray for you. Is that all right? Yeah? yeah? Cool. Why don't you stand here between me and Tori, and I'll pray for you guys, okay? All right. Father, we thank you so much for Caleb and for Michael. We thank you for their faith in you. We thank you for their, them and their family's commitment to you and to this church and their Sunday school program. And as they grow older, as they're entering into first grade, this new opportunity in their life, we pray that you would equip them and prepare them for all that you have in store in the future. We pray that these Bibles would be a, a source of inspiration for them and their families, that they would take the time to read it so that they know can know and love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who equips us 
uh, and that your word equips us to know and love you. And so we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Congratulations, guys. You guys can go sit down. I also want to take a moment and and continue our prayer this morning, especially keeping in mind those victims uh, who are in the path of Hurricane Hurricane Florence. As as we announced at the beginning of the service, there is the blue jug up here. If any of you feel led to to give above and beyond what you normally do in order to uh, help the victims that are in the path of the storm, we encourage you to do so. As Jack mentioned, uh, everything that's given in that blue jug will go directly to the Salvation Army and their hurricane relief efforts. So if you're so inclined, you have an opportunity to do that after the service today. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for for this day. Uh, This is the day that you have made, and so we rejoice in it. We ask that you would guide us and, and, and provide for us, Lord, as a church, as a community, as individuals. Uh, We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who has made uh, eternal life available to each and every one of us. And I pray that we as a church would would strive to know you and love you and serve you, Lord, and and that we would raise up our children uh, to do that. With the dedication today and with Sunday school promotion, Lord, we're reminded of of that important role of raising our children to know you and, and, and being a beacon of light, not only for them, but for this entire community. And so I pray that you would equip us and enable us to be that, Lord, be the light of the world and the salt of the earth in that way. We do pray for those that are in the path of the storm, Lord, in the East Coast. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for those uh, that, are, that are injured, that have lost their homes. Uh, Lord, there's, there's damage that hasn't even been uh, recognized yet, Lord. There, there's, and there's, the storm is still there. And so we pray for safety. We pray for, for provision. We pray for all those that are going to help, Lord, in this time of need, that you would keep them safe. And we thank you for their commitment to, to helping their neighbor in this way. And, Lord, we ask that you would keep those that are in the path of the storm safe. Uh, we do pray for the families of those who have already fallen victim, and we pray for peace and comfort during this time. And in all things, Lord, you can use even, even terrible things, even horrible things like natural disasters uh, to draw people to yourself. And so we pray for good to come out of this terrible thing. Uh, and we pray that your glory and your goodness and your love would shine even in the midst of this. Uh, we pray all these things and, and for those names that are represented in our bulletin, Lord, and the situations that are represented there. We pray all that for your goodness and your will to be, to be experienced and done in all of this. And we pray it in Christ's name. Just as he taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. And once again, we'll have the choir bless us with some offertory music.
Please remain standing for our scripture reading today from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. Or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
Remain standing, please, and sing hymn number 69, Thy Loving Kindness. Now, I do have to say, as we were planning the music for this Sunday uh, and that song about lifting up hands, I didn't realize I was going to make that comment last week about how we're not exactly a hand-raising church. Um, (laughs) Didn't look ahead to the lyrics of this week. That was not intentional by any means. It's just happy coincidence there. Uh, I do want to, before we we get into the sermon, just take a moment and, and just... Thank my family for being here. Uh, it's so nice to have all of them here for this, our special day. Um, and, and thank you. I, I, I know you guys always rush to get these front seats in the sanctuary. So it was nice of you to leave a space for them all to sit close to the front so they could get a good view of the dedication. So, so thank you. If you guys want to move up closer again next week, that is totally fine. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for this day, grateful that you are our Lord and Savior, grateful that you have uh, made our salvation available and possible through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if not for him, we would be lost. And so we, we praise you this morning, and as we talk about what it means to be a faithful disciple, I pray that you would uh, speak through me, give me words to speak, and open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, last week I began a new uh, sermon series about the facts of discipleship, and we, we kind of laid some groundwork last week about how important it is to be an everyday disciple, which means that we're not just disciples, we're not just Christians, we're not just followers of Jesus when we're within the walls of this church, but we, we go from this place and we live out our faith each and every day. And that's what God intends for, for all of us, not just pastors or missionaries or those sorts of professional Christians, quote-unquote, but for all of us, to live out our faith and allow it to impact who we are and what we do. And so these next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what those characteristics are that we should see within us as, as Christ has, transforms us from the inside out. As we trust in him, he begins to put these characteristics in us. And so the first one, the first of our, of our facts is faithful. To, a disciple is meant to be faithful. And I, I think this is a, a important one because it does kind of lay the groundwork for all the rest of them as well. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about how disciples are meant to be faithful. They're meant to be authentic, committed, teachable, and, and be servants, uh, have, be servant-minded. And so, and so faithfulness really does kind of lay the groundwork because being faithful has everything to do with being in a relationship with the Lord and knowing him in a personal way, not just 
keeping him at arm's length. And that sometimes is a struggle for us in our culture today because we have a, a whole lot of friends that we keep at arm's length, but we have very few true friends that, that know us and, and we allow close and that we allow to really get to know us. You know, I think of the difference between being an acquaintance and being a friend, right? We have, you know, hundreds and, and sometimes even in the thousands of Facebook friends or followers on Instagram and Twitter or whatever, whatever your case may be, whatever your social media of preference is. But you don't have to be on social media to succumb to this, too. We, we, have, we, we have this built, we've built ourselves kind of isolated from others. And, and so we have, we have tons of friends, or tons of acquaintances, I should say, but very few true friends. When I talk about being faithful, when I talk about how a disciple needs to be in a relationship with the Lord, I'm not talking about just being acquaintances with him, not just knowing about him or, or knowing a few things, but truly knowing him in the sense that you know your true friends. And, and I think of, in terms of my own life, I've had some very close friends and, and they're people that, you know, I, I grew up with, I went to school with. Um, we don't live near each other anymore. Uh, we're spread out over different states, but we keep in touch. And, and, and the way I can know that they're true friends above and beyond just acquaintances is because we can not talk for six months or eight months or a year and we just pick up right where we left off. Some of you maybe have friends like that. It's just, it's just natural. It comes. It just flows because, because we're more than just acquaintances. And I also know that if I were ever to show up on their doorstep, they would be there to help. They would be there to welcome us in, no questions asked. And so we talk about a disciple being faithful, someone knowing the Lord and having a relationship with him. That's the kind of closeness that I'm talking about. Someone who is, who is closer than just an acquaintance, but is truly a friend. And so all this that we're going to talk about today, being a disciple, being born again, trusting in his promises, and having the endurance to to live that out over a lifetime, all happens within the context of a relationship. It all happens within the context of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior and having that relationship with him. And if you want to think about it in terms of our mission statement, it's all about being rooted in Christ. It's about being rooted in him and, and having that relationship with him. We define being rooted in Christ as, as encountering God as our creator and embracing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to become his disciples. That's what it means to be rooted in Christ. And so when we're talking about being faithful, being in a relationship with him. We're talking about being rooted in, in knowing God, having that experience of knowing him and also trusting in him as our Lord and Savior. And in fact, that's exactly what our friend Nicodemus here was, was inquiring about as he had this nighttime conversation with Jesus we give a lot of a lot of attention to John 3:16, but this entire story is just filled with important information about what it means to know the Lord and have that relationship with Him. And so, uh, throughout this sermon, I'm going to be referencing that and other scriptures. So, if you have your Bibles or want to grab one of the pew Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. You heard Clinton read this this passage, and so I'm not going to just reread it for you. But we're going to look at this first section from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And the emphasis here is, as Nicodemus is coming to ask Jesus and inquire of him, he's, 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 Jesus realizes that he's... Nicodemus doesn't come out and say it, but Jesus knows what he's getting at here. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He's a Pharisee, and yet he came to Jesus in the, in the cover of darkness, right? He came in the middle of the night. And there's 
Lots of reasons he may have done that. Uh, you know, we can speculate Jesus was often surrounded by crowds during the day, and so it was much more likely that he would get a chance to have a conversation with Jesus at night when those crowds had gone home. Um, but there was also maybe the risk of him being a Pharisee, being on the religious ruling council, going and speaking to this, you know, quote-unquote rogue kind of teacher. And so he, so whichever, whatever his motivation was, he finds himself at night speaking with Jesus. And he, and he begins by, by acknowledging that, that Jesus must be coming from God because only someone from God could do the things that Jesus was doing. So Jesus comes right out and tells him in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And the phrase born again is, is important here. And we, you know, it, it sometimes gets a bad rap. Let's be honest, in our culture, you know, we get lots of labels and stereotypes of what it means to be born again. Uh, but over and over again, Scripture, it re, we, we see this reference to born again or born from above or new birth or rebirth or new creation. And, and whatever phrase you slap onto it, whatever label you put, the emphasis is on the fact that God recreates us when we put our trust in him. That as we turn and look to the Lord, as our, as, uh, look to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he does something in us to change us. He transforms us from the inside out. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, you must be born again. And we see evidence of this throughout Scripture. And again, I'm just going to read a few passage to, passages to you. Um, first is, is a very familiar one, 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, the, the new creation has come, the old is gone. I mean, how, think of that, that, that the person who's in Christ has been made a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In 1 Peter chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, the emphasis on that new birth, that living hope that we have because of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul again writes, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Again, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish. It doesn't matter uh, you know, what your background is or where you come from. What matters is the new creation, that working that God does in us to make us new. So whatever particular phrase you use, the bottom line is, that the, is, is about the change that takes place when you trust in Jesus. And the change is that our sin and our guilt is removed and we are now brought into a relationship with him. And he says here, that's what's needed. That's what's necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven, to know the Lord. It's not anything that we do for ourselves. It's what God has done for us through Christ. And Jesus, I believe, intentionally uses family imagery, as does the rest of the New Testament. To be born again is to be born into a family, the family of God. And the amazing thing is you don't, you don't choose which family you're born into. Some of you may have wanted to choose which family you're born into, right? But you don't have that choice for yourself. In the same way as we trust in Christ, we're born into his family. We're born into that family of God. And he becomes our father and we inherit brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're welcomed into that family. We have this new status as a child of God. And that's pretty amazing. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and, 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 and build us up. 
You notice here, it's, it's an internal transformation. It's not something that you can see physically. It's not like you have a halo above your head all of a sudden. But how awesome would that be? If you could go through life and just see what kind of person you were talking to by some sort of external sign, there was some like augmented reality, right? There was some halo above their heads or maybe some other people wouldn't have a halo. Uh, maybe there would be some other indications of, of their, their natural bent, right? That would be, that would make life a lot easier. That's for sure. But, but God doesn't do that for us. The, the change that takes place is an internal transformation, Jesus says it's like the wind. We can't see where the wind goes. We can't see the wind, but we can see its effects. And so in the same way, we can't necessarily see physically the change that's taking place. As you put your trust in Christ, it's not like you're going to begin to glow or have a halo above your head. But people will, over time, see the change that does take place through how you live and how you act and the way that you represent yourself. Because it's not about representing yourself, it's about representing Christ and Him working in and through you. And again, it's not by our own effort. And just, just a few chapters before this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John chapter 1, the author tells us, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, Yet to all who did receive Him, speaking of Jesus, the, the light of the world, the Word of God, excuse me, to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In other words, it's him that's working through us, and we are then brought into his family. In 1 John 3, 1, in a letter that the same author writes, he says, how wonderful that that God has lavished his love on us, that we should be called children of God. Not of our own doing, right? not anything we could do for ourselves, but all because of what God has done for us. Our loving Father cares for us and is ready to meet our needs. I love the story in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is speaking on prayer and the importance of prayer, but he uses the analogy of a loving father and how he treats his children. In the same way, God treats us like a loving father. He desires to see our needs met. He desires not our wants, because sometimes our wants aren't good for us. But he desires to see our needs met. And first and foremost, it's our need for salvation in Christ. And I mentioned he gives us brothers and sisters in Christ. Excuse me, people to come alongside us and encourage us, to build us up and to hold us accountable, to go on that journey of life together. And so we're born again, born into a relationship with him, and it's a change that that he initiates in us. And that involves then going on to trust his promises. In John 3, 13 through 15, he goes on to, to tell Nicodemus that the one who, who looks to the Lord, that looks to Jesus as he's lifted up, is the one who inherits eternal life. And he's making this reference to the bronze snake from Numbers 21, verse 9. That time, God's people had, been, uh, had suffered from a plague that, that, that because of their disobedience, they were infested with snakes in their camp, and, be, and, and, and the people were bitten, and they were... They were as a result of, of that, their disobedience, as a result of God's punishment, they were facing death, and many of them did die. 
And so they called out to the Lord and prayed that, that he would deliver them and save them from this, this punishment. And so God instructed Moses to create this bronze snake and, when, and, and, and to put it up on a pole in the middle of camp. And when God and when people would look up to that snake, as they turn their eyes to it, they would be healed. And Jesus says in the same way as the Son of Man is lifted up, and he's referencing his death on the cross, as the Son of Man is lifted up and looks to him, they too will be saved. Because we're not infected with poison or the result of a snake bite, but we're infected with sin. And again, it's not anything we can do to save ourselves. We need to look to the Lord and he will heal us. And so we do that by trusting in his promises. His promise like here in John chapter 3 but the promises we see throughout Scripture. You see, as we become mature in Christ, as we, as we trust in Him and that relationship develops and we grow, it happens, we become more like Christ. And again, that's the change that people see over time, is Christ shining through us, His characteristics, His, His life being lived in us. And the more we trust and the more we orient our lives around God's promises that we find in his word, the more like Christ we will become. And so that's why it's important to trust in God's word. That's why it's important to know God's word, because it's through that that he works in and through us. We can't trust in his promises. We can't find hope in him if we don't know who he is or don't know the promises he's made. So in John chapter 5, if you were to flip forward a couple pages... We see this promise, John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40. Speaking to the religious leaders, Jesus tells them, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. The scriptures testify about Christ. They testify about what he's done for us and the the promise and hope that we have in him. And so we need to know God's word. We need to rely on it. We need to trust it in order to receive those promises. In Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. These disciples are walking around and they encounter Jesus, but they don't realize it's him. And so so they're walking along the road and and they begin to complain. They begin to, 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 to bemoan the fact that Christ had died and they thought all hope was gone. And so Christ comes alongside them and, and it says that he opens the scriptures with them. And he, and, he, and he, beginning with Moses, he walks through the scriptures and how they reveal them, how they reveal Christ, how they point to him. See, God's word points us to Christ. And so if we want to know him, if we want to have a relationship with him, we need to be in his word. And the other half of that is we need to then respond to his word through prayer. Prayer is a response to God's word to us. It's a response and dependence on him. A very familiar passage on prayer is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. I have, these, I have this, I believe, hanging in, on a sign in my office. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we respond to God's word. We respond to our situations in life, not by worrying, not by trying to fix the situation ourselves, but by responding through prayer and trusting in his promises. 
And as we do that, as we, as we learn to do that more and more, we'll become more like Christ. And, and that relationship that we're born into will develop over time. And finally, the last, the last point I want to emphasize here this, this day is, is the fact that, that this relationship that we're called into, as we trust in his promises, it's not just for a moment, it's not just for a day or a season of life, but it's for a lifetime. God gives us the endurance because we're in it for the long haul. It's a lifelong commitment. Like, like other relationships in life, we don't get to pick and choose when we are a part of them. I don't get to choose which days I'm married to Allie and which days I'm not. Right? I don't get to choose which days I'm friends with people and which days I'm not. I don't get to choose what day I'm a parent, although that is a very tempting one. <laughs> right? Some of you maybe can relate to that. But you can't choose which day you're a parent. You're a parent always and forever. And so you always live out of those different roles in your life. In the same way, we don't get to pick and choose which day we're going to follow Christ, which day we're going to live out of that relationship with him. When, when we're born into that family, we're born into that family. And it's a lifelong commitment that we make and he makes to us. Eugene Peterson, a, a famous pastor and author, described discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. I think it's just a beautiful description of what it means to follow Christ. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It means that we're not always going to be going at the same pace. We may stumble and fall every once in a while, but the overall direction is the same towards Christ, towards him. And you may be sitting there like I have at different times in my life and think, well, this isn't good news because how am I going to sustain this? How am I going to live this out? Because day in, day out, I don't necessarily feel like it, right? I don't always feel like following Christ. I don't have the strength or energy in of myself to do it. Well, the good news is that, that we don't have to have it in ourselves. If we don't save ourselves, we can't unsave ourselves, right? If God is the one who redeems us, if it's all about what God has done for us, then, then there's nothing we can do to undo what God has done. In this, this passage, John 3.16 and, and, and following, we often think about it in terms of, of that moment of salvation, but it also speaks to, to God's, God's commitment to us for the long haul. And I want to reread those words because they're so important. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, this passage speaks to three things. God's motivation, his purpose, and his goal. His motivation is his love for us. That's why God did what he did. Because he loves us. He loves his creation and wanted to redeem it. And his purpose was to save us and not to condemn us. We often give God a bad rap thinking that he wants to, to, to condemn people. He wants to, to, to ruin our fun, right? To ruin our lives. But yet we see here the love of God is to save us, not to condemn us. And the goal is that we would have eternal life. Now, John 3.16 doesn't say God paid attention to the world and noticed how much that you loved him. And so he gave you the opportunity to lay down your life so that whoever could earn God's love might have eternal life. It doesn't say that, but that's how we live, isn't it? That's often how we think and how we, how we respond to God's grace is by trying to earn it for ourselves but that's not the case. It's not up to us to maintain our standing before God. Thankfully, he does it for us. If God is the source, 
of our salvation. If, he's, if, if the motivation is his love and, and to save us and to grant us eternal life, then he will see us through to the end. If his motivation is based solely on his love for his people and not our good effort, then he will see us through. And his faithfulness, it's his faithfulness to us that counts, not ours to him. I'm going to read two passages in closing because I think they're both important for us to, to hear. The first is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul writes, therefore, well, I'll start partway through the verse. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We look at that verse and we think, well, we have to work out our own salvation. It's up, <clears throat> it's up to us, but it's not. We work, we respond to God's grace. Yes, there is, in a sense, a part of responsibility on our part, but it's God who works in us to make that happen. And it's God who's done the work to bring us into that relationship. And in closing, I'm just going to read these words and then we'll be done because these words are important. They're the reminder, and these are words I often read as I go to visit people in the hospital, people that are have, have major surgery coming up or maybe are facing um, what could possibly could be the end of their time on this earth. And I believe these words are important because they bring us comfort. But they speak to the God's love for each one of us. It's Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 31. Hear these words as we close today. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave us him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is seated at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that it's through your love that we have this hope of eternal life, that you call us into a relationship to you, a relationship that is defined by by your faithfulness to us and our response, our faithfulness to you. So, Lord, help us to live out of our new birth. Help us to live out of our, uh, the tr- our trust in these promises. And help us to be in it for the long haul, Lord, because you have made it so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, sing our last ver- last hymn. Thank you. <laughs>
Just a reminder to all of our Sunday school families, if your child is moving up a class, we, and, uh, we invite you to bring them to their new classrooms this morning. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.